got your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. This is a, a passage of scripture that we actually looked at last week. It's a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed. And Paul prays this prayer, Ephesians 1.17. He says, I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Again, this is our goal, is that we want to know God personally. We don't want to have a relationship with him only through Sunday morning, only through somebody else, that we want to have a personal relationship with him. So he, he wants to, he, Paul is saying, I want you to be intelligent and discerning. I want the, the spirit to do this. I want him to work in your life so that you can know him personally. He says, your eyes focused and clear so that you can know exactly what he's calling you to do. This really is our prayer over this coming year, that our spiritual eyes would be opened and focused and clear, that you know, we wouldn't be like frantically pulled in lots of directions by all the magnets of the world, that we'd be focused and clear. And my prayer for you is that each of you would know the calling that God has on your life. I hope you do realize that every single person has a calling on their lives. That, that, that the call, a call of ministry is not just a call that goes to pastors. We have a particular call. In fact, what my calling is, according to scripture, is I am called to equip you to discover and live out your call. That's what my call is. And, and so everybody has a, a calling, and we want you to be able to, to live that out as Jesus has called you to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. But here's the deal. In order to do that, you need to be focused and clear as to what in the world does it even look like. I mean, what is God inviting me to do? What is his will for my life? In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says this. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, then they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, and I love this, it says they are most blessed. I hope you believe that this morning, that what God's plan is for your life is he wants you to have the most blessings that you can possibly have. He wants to bless you exceedingly abundantly more than even anything that you could even think of or imagine. But here's the deal, that won't happen unless we're able to see what God is doing, which is the last thing in the world the devil wants. I want you to look at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They can't see. Their, their, their judgment has been clouded. Their minds are clouded. And what I want you to understand this morning is that while we're looking for focus, especially during this time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, while we're looking for focus, at the same time, the devil is fighting to keep us unfocused, to get us confused. He, he doesn't want us to have a clear vision. He, he's scared to death if we really had a clear vision. 
He he doesn't want us to see clearly the direction that God wants us to go. And so if you really want to experience all that God has for your life and fully live out the life that he's called you to live, I want you to know this morning that that begins in a very simple place. It's in the area of your thoughts. This space, I don't know how many inches it is between here. Some of us, it's a lot bigger than... (laughs) Whatever that space is. Proverbs 23 says this. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart. Understand, whatever you're thinking about your life, whatever you're focused on in your life is determining the trajectory of your life. You could say it like this. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your your life is always going to move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Somebody needs to hear that today. Some of you might want to write that down. The reason that your life is moving in the direction that it's moving is because of how you think. That's what will control the direction of your life. In other words... If you, if you operate under the belief that you're a victim, chances are you will become one. If you believe that no matter what you do, you can't ever win, chances are you'll fail. If, if you believe that there's no opportunities for you in life, it, it's likely that you won't find any. If you believe that God is against you, then the the likelihood is that you won't ever see the favor and the opportunities that God is placing before you. We see what we believe. On the other hand, if, if you believe that you're more than a conqueror, guess what? I promise you, by the power of God that's at work within you, you will overcome whatever it is that you face in life. If you believe that God will open doors and and bring fresh opportunities, then you'll begin to see those opportunities. Why? Because you believe, and because you believe, you're looking for them. Some some people say this. Maybe you've heard this before. Some people say, well, I'll believe it if I see it. See, I I think that's backwards. I, I think way more often we see it because we believe it. You see, it's what we believe that drives the decisions that we make, and ultimately that is what will determine the direction of our lives. Proverbs 4 says it like this. It says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Maybe you've never even thought of that before. But, but, but this principle runs all the way through scripture that your thought life actually has a, has a, a, plays a part in determining your actual life. I'm telling you, your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so I just want to submit this to you this morning. I think that maybe it's just time that we begin to think about what we think about. I, I think we ought, we ought to think about what we think about. It's time to give a little energy to thinking about what we think about because everything in your life begins with a thought. And unfortunately, in today's culture, many of us are programmed to think 
through the wrong lens. We're programmed to think through lenses like fear or abuse or abandonment or failure. That's why the devil, you need to understand this. This is why the devil attacks us when we're very young because what he wants to do is as early on as possible, he wants to mess up and impact our foundational belief system so that we will believe lies for our entire life. Uh, let, me, let me just give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Like, imagine this. Like, say, say uh, you're at home on a Friday night, and, and say you're a, a single person, and you're, you're sitting there, it's Friday night, and you're bored, and you're like, man, I'm bored. I don't want to hang out here by myself. I'd like to kick it with my friends. But that's what young folks say, right? I'm going to kick it. Pastor Brian, that's what us young guys say, right? <laughs> Pastor Brian and I are always kicking it. And so you're like, oh, I'm bored. I want to kick it with my friends. And so you, 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 you think, okay, I'm going to hang out with this person. So you call and they don't answer. And you're like, that's cool. I got plenty of friends. And so you, you call your next friend and they don't answer. And you call somebody else and they don't answer. And, and, and you call another one and they don't answer. Now the devil starts to put some thoughts in your mind. It's like, I wonder why they're not answering. I bet they're all together. <laughs> and they have intentionally left me out. In fact, I have thought this for a while. They don't even like me. They just tolerate me because they have to. And the truth is, they don't like me. In fact, nobody likes me. I, nobody wants to be around me. I, I'm gonna, I, nobody's going to hang out with me. I'm going to spend the rest of the day, my days by myself. And someday I am going to die alone. Or, or, or maybe for some others of you, you, you miss a call from your boss. The first thought that pops in your mind is like, why is he calling me? <laughs> he never calls me. And if he did call me, he would leave a message. I wonder why he didn't leave a message. He should have left a message. If it was good, he would have left a message. But it's obviously bad because he didn't leave one. And oh my goodness, I bet that downsizing they've been talking about is going to happen. And I'm the first one that's going to get fired. And, and, and what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to find another job. And I'm going to lose my house. And I'm going to be completely broke. And my wife is going to leave me. And I'm going to lose my family. And I am going to die alone. Yeah. You guys have had these thoughts before. You're professionals. Here, here's a good one for the ladies. Oh, no. <laughs> you text your husband, and he doesn't text you back in like 30 seconds. And immediately you're like, he's dead. I, I knew it. I told him to be careful when he left, and he, he's never careful. Obviously, he wasn't careful. probably wasn't paying attention because he never pays attention, and now he's upside down somewhere in a ditch, and I don't know, should I call the cops? Should I begin planning a funeral? Oh, my goodness, what's that going to cost? I've never picked out a casket before. What in the world am I going to wear? I mean, isn't that like him? To leave me here, to raise these kids... All by myself, alone. 
We laugh, but man, this is real. We all have these crazy, they're crazy thoughts. And we're like, where in the world did that even come from? They're just crazy. And we need to understand what's happening. When, when, when that takes place, we got to understand where it comes from and how we fight it. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing one thing. What is it? Your thoughts, what you think. He says your entire life will change if you'll just allow God to change the way you think. He says, and then once you do that, Then you will learn to know God's will for you. You'll be able to see more clearly. You'll have better focus. And you'll see that God's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect. Yeah, that's good news. Some some of you need to file that away somewhere and just hold on to it. Because this is what the word of God says about your life. That God's will for you is good. We just sang about the fact that he's a good, good father. He wants good things for us. His will for us is good and pleasing and it's perfect. We mess things up. Our will does. His will is perfect. And he wants you to know what that will is. He doesn't want to hide it from you. Now again, the devil, his job is, he'll work overtime to convince you something completely different than the fact that God's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect. And that's why we have to have the truth of God's word that we hide in our hearts. God wants to change our entire life, but the only way that can happen is if we allow him to change what takes place and happens up here. Why? Because your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul addresses the issue of spiritual warfare. And I know that sounds like a really deep topic, but the reality is I want you to see that spiritual warfare, not only is it real, but it's very simple. The truth is, whether you're aware of it or not, you are in a battle every day of your life. That's the reality. And and once we understand that and we understand what's taking place, I want you to know it is very simple to win the battle. We're going to spend the rest of our time in this short passage of Scripture, and I just want to read it to you, and then we'll break it down. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. He says, On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All right, so what Paul says, first and foremost, you need to understand that the world that you live in is at war, but we don't wage war the same way the world does. I think it's important to to notice the implication here. 
The implication is that there is indeed a war that is taking place in the lives of every single individual, and you and I are included in that war. We're in it. Paul doesn't say we're not involved in a war like the rest of the world is. He doesn't say once you give your life to Christ, you're rescued from the war. The, the implication is we're all in a battle. It's just that God has given us the ability to fight it differently than everybody else. And so don't miss this. According to Paul, everybody's in a battle, but the sad news is not everybody knows they're in a battle. Not everybody knows it. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever been in a fight, but you didn't know you were in a fight? Every husband should have their hand raised right now. And every wife is looking at their husband going, you want to fight, you lift that hand up. I don't care what you say, Dane, that's funny. That's funny. You're, you're a safe man not to laugh. Good job. That's funny. The, the primary reason that many people are losing the battle Battles over addiction, the battle for their marriage, the battle for their children, the battle for their finances, all these battles is because they don't understand, first of all, the battle they're in. They don't understand who they're actually fighting, and they're fighting it with the wrong weapons. So, so the first step is we have to identify. We have to, first of all, accept the fact we're in a battle. Then we have to identify who are we fighting in the battle. What's the battle? We, we got to understand that our battle is with the enemy and the battle is for control of our thoughts. That's what the battle is. Our battle's not with our spouse. Our battle's not with our boss. Our battle's not with our kids, with our neighbor, whoever. The battle is with the enemy, and the battleground exists between our ears. That's where the battle takes place. It is 100% a mental battle. And so when Paul talks about demolishing spiritual strongholds, what he's talking about is he's talking about the strongholds are thoughts, they're, they're thoughts that are contrary to the truth of God that people embrace that become controlling forces in their lives. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, he says this, he says, I don't want Satan to outwit us. He says, after all, we're not ignorant to Satan's schemes. Now, now here's the problem, and we just need to, to face this. A lot of times, we allow Satan to outwit us. And, and the thing that's sad about this is that he never uses a new strategy. I mean, he's like a one-trick pony. He's been using the same trick for thousands and thousands of years. Now, what we have on our side is, is we have the victory of the cross, what we have on our side is the fact that the devil is already a defeated foe because of the cross. But what he has on his side is a whole lot of experience. I mean, he's been doing this to every generation that has ever lived on planet Earth, and we're fairly new to this comparatively. And so what we have to do is understand the truth from God's word so that we don't get outwitted by the enemy. 
Because I want you to hear me on this. The devil is a defeated foe. He's a defeated foe. The Bible says very clearly that Jesus took all of his authority at the cross. He took the keys to the devil's own house, the keys of death and hell and the grave. And then according to scripture, he led the devil in a triumphal procession through heaven where the devil had to lay all of his weapons at the foot of the cross and where all of the record of all of the charges of all of the sin that stood against you was completely destroyed something that ought to excite us a little bit the devil has no power over you Jesus destroyed it at the cross and so check this out the only way the devil can beat you is to trick you into beating yourself because he has no power over you. So, so what he does is, he comes into our lives and he tries to bring confusion. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, it says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So if confusion doesn't come from God, where does it come from? There's only one other place. The devil is the author of confusion. And the way that he tries to confuse us is by lying to us. In John 8, 44, Jesus says this. He says that when he lies, the devil, he's just speaking his native language. Because that, that's all he does. He, that's the only thing he knows to do is just lie. And it says, for he is a liar. It goes on to say, for he is the father of lies. In other words, the devil is the one who invented lying. So he's pretty good at it. He's been doing it for a long time. He's the best liar that ever was. And, and here's the deal about really good liars. The best liars always mix a little bit of truth in with a lie so you don't know whether they're telling the truth or not. Go, about, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Eve is having this conversation with the serpent, and she's confused because he's like, you know, if you eat the fruit, your eyes will be open knowing good and evil. That's true. God said that. He, he says, you'll be like God. That, that's true. We're created in the image of God. He, and so he's telling the truth. He's twisting it because what he really wants is he wants you to become God so that you worship at the altar of self, that I'm the most important thing on the planet. I'm my own God. So he's twisting it, but we are created in his image to reflect God, so we will become like him. And then he says, if you eat it, surely you're not going to die. Lie. God said, if you eat it, you will surely die. So, so now Eve, her perspective gets all messed up. She buys into the lie. She begins to see things through a clouded lens because she's confused, which leads to her taking the wrong action, which produces all kinds of chaos and perversion in the world. And what's so fascinating is, is that the devil is still pulling the exact same trick. 
He still does the same thing, generation after generation. If you go down through history, what you'll see is, is in the rise and fall of every civilization, it always ends with all kinds of chaos and perversion and people thinking, oh, we have um, evolved into this age of enlightenment. We finally have more knowledge and truth and we're rejecting this old stuff because we've been enlightened. Hello, modern day culture. The further we get into perversion, and the more we act like, you know, we don't need those old school morals. That's old fashioned. We, we don't, you know, we, we have evolved. We don't, the Bible is outdated. The more we think that we're smarter than God is, the reality is the dumber we are. And the closer we are to destruction. This is history. People falling for the lies of the devil. He's really good at what he does. He confuses people so that we actually wind up defeating ourselves. When, when we can't see who God is, we can't see who we are either. There are several examples of this in the Bible. I want to just show you one. In Judges chapter 6... It tells a story about this guy by the name of Gideon who God calls during a time when the nation of Israel was caught. They, they kind of seemed to find themselves in this cycle that they repeated over and over and over again. And the cycle was, you know, they were God's chosen people, but they would, they would wind up doing what we're talking about here, buying a lie of the enemy, what would happen is, is they would begin, once they bought the lie, to rebel against the truth of God's word, because there's a stronghold that was created, and they'd begin worshiping um, other idols, and as a result of that, the nation would fall into chaos, another nation would conquer them, they'd wind up in slavery, and then, and then they'd be miserable in the condition they're in, they would remember God, they would repent, God would, because he's a merciful God and a gracious God, he would raise up a deliverer to rescue them, and so they would live in this freedom for a while, forget about it, get comfortable, buy into a lie, rebel, fall into slavery, repent, rinse and repeat. This is what they did just over and over and over again. And so in Judges chapter 6, the people have rebelled, they've been conquered by the, the Midianites, and so they cry out to God, and because God is a God of compassion, he, he plans to deliver them under the leadership of this guy, Gideon. And so this is God's good and pleasing and perfect will, not just for the children of Israel, but for Gideon. And, and in Judges chapter 6, verse 12, we're told that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, I want to pause here for just a second because this is important. Anytime in the Old Testament you read the angel of the Lord, it's not just an angel. That, that biblical scholars tell us that what it's referring to is a pre-incarnate Christ. That this is Jesus before Bethlehem, before the manger, before he walked on this earth. This is Jesus showing up. So imagine this, the angel of the Lord. Jesus, it's God showing up. And what does God say to him? He says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Well, yeah, the Lord's with him. He's there. So, so the angel of the Lord, Jesus, is speaking truth. Can't speak anything else. He is the truth. And so Jesus states the truth. Gideon, I'm calling you to be a hero. 
Gideon, I'm going to use you to lead your people into freedom because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to empower you. And I want you to look at Gideon's response. You can just see how the, the devil is at work in his life. Gideon says, okay, but if the Lord is with us, then why in the world has all this bad stuff happened to us? See, the lie that Gideon was embracing in his heart is exactly the same lie that many people in our culture today embrace. If God is so loving, if God is so good, then, then why did all this stuff happen? If, if, if God is really there, then why did I go through that pain? If God really wants me to prosper, then why did I have that setback? If God really is a healer, then, then, then why did grandma die? Because I don't understand my circumstances, I'm going to reject your truth is essentially what's taking place here. You're, you, it's not my truth. My circumstances don't align with what you're saying. And, and in, in verse 13, it says, okay, and, and, and not only that, where are all these miracles that everybody's talking about? Where, where are the miracles that everybody else seems to be experiencing in their life? How come I'm not experiencing these? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? This is what we do, right? Why have you abandoned me? Never our fault. I mean, forget the fact that we wandered away from you. Forget the fact that we turned away from you in order to worship other idols. Forget the fact that we've ignored your commands and decided we're smart enough, we can do our own thing. And here we find ourselves in our consequences, and it's God's fault. Because we're not responsible for all the stupid things we do. We, 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 in, in, in our culture, we took God out of our schools. We took prayer out. We decided that the Bible is old-fashioned. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, what's true for me isn't necessarily true for you. And what's true for you isn't necessarily uh, true for me. It's all relative. And so I get to define for myself what's right and true. And, and I get to define my own standard of morality. And we allowed this perversion in our modern day culture. And then we're like, where is God? What do you mean, where is God? He's right where you put him. You cut him out. And, and so then the consequences come and people go, well, if God's really love or if God even really exists, then why are there things like murder and rape and abuse and why are there starving children and why is this taking place in the world and this, all this horrible stuff like it's God's fault somewhere, somehow. No, all of it is the result of our rejection of God, not his rejection of us. It's a result of buying into the lies of Satan and convincing ourselves that sin isn't sin. It always results in chaos and perversion. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, for I am sending you. In other words, what God is saying here is like, Gideon, I know the world is a mess. 
I know the consequences that you guys are experiencing because of your own sin, but the reason I came and chose you is I actually want to lead you to bring your culture out of that darkness and into the light. He says, Gideon, you're the one that I'm choosing. You're the one who is supposed to help set your people free. You're the one, you're sitting here going, God, why don't you just do something? And I'm saying, I came to do something, but I came to do it through you. I want to use you. You're the one I want to use to take them to a place that they've always dreamed of being. You're the one I want to use so that they can see miracles in their lifetime. I want to move in and through you. And I want you to look at what Gideon says in response to that. He says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? I mean, my, my clan, in my mind, I imagine, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest. I'm the least of my entire family. I know I, I can't do anything. I'm just this poor, dumb, I, I just have no skills. How could God use someone like me? You see how Gideon has fallen for the lies? And, and these lies are holding him captive. What he doesn't understand is that when God looks at Gideon, what God sees is a mighty hero. Gideon looks at himself and he sees the least and the last and the weakest. Why? Because the direction of your life will always go and be led by your strongest thoughts. And so he sees himself as the least and the last and the weakest. I'm telling you, this is how the devil works. This is spiritual warfare. He, he tries to tell God, you know, you, you could never use somebody like me. I'm damaged goods. I mean, nobody could use me. I'm damaged goods. But God says no. He says something different. And the Lord comes to us in these moments. And what he wants to do is he wants to speak truth to us in the midst of the lies that we bought by the enemy. And we have to understand that the lies we embrace in our hearts are the very things that are actually keeping us from God's best in our lives. Because we're in a battle. And our life will always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So Paul, back to, back to 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, you're not powerless. He says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That word stronghold in the Greek literally means a prisoner locked in deception. And God has given us the power to break this lying mindset in our culture and even in our own lives that the devil has used to hold people captive. This is what he's saying. He goes on, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so, so what is it that we know about God? We know that he's loving. God is love. We, we know that he's gracious. We know that he's forgiving. We, we know that he is good. We know that God wants to deliver us. We know that God wants to bless us. But we have all these arguments, and that, that word argument is literally, uh, it, it means um, our thinking or our reasons. And so it's giving the idea like we're putting a case together, a legal case of like, well, because this thing happened, and this thing happened, and I saw that happen, so that is the evidence that I'm using, and it means this about God. That's my argument. And, and Paul says that it sets itself up 
that stuff and tries to get me to believe that God isn't actually who he says he is. And Paul says that all of that is spiritual warfare that comes from the enemy. But here's the deal. He says, but God has given us weapons that we have that are guaranteed to demolish all of those things. Once we recognize that we're in a battle, we have to understand how to use the weapons that God has placed in our hands to destroy all this stuff. So how do we do that? It's really very simple. Paul says, and we take captive every thought. So so step one is this. Identify you're in a battle. Actually, you have to be active in the battle. And this is step one. We take captive every thought. We take captive every thought. I'm going to give you three really quick points here. I know we're up against the clock, but I had good news to share with you. And so hopefully you're patient with me. But um, I want to give you three really quick points but um, we have these, these three things. We, we, t- we take captive every single thought. And the truth is, the reason why we need to do that is because most of us are lazy when it comes to our thought lives. People say you can't control your thoughts. Scripture says something different. Paul says, well, okay, you may not be able to control every thought that comes into your head, but you can control what you do with that thought. Paul says you can actually bring those thoughts into captivity, and he says you can make them obedient to Jesus. See, we have to understand we're in a spiritual war, and the battlefield is the space between our ears, and and so the enemy will put all kinds of crazy thoughts in our minds, like like you get in an argument with your spouse, and and the thoughts are like, she always does that, she doesn't realize how hard I work, she doesn't respect me, she doesn't appreciate all I do, Uh, you know, other people respect me, like Sandra in my office, she respects me. I wonder, you know, she, she never tears me down. I wonder what it would be like to be with Sandra. See how that works? I don't even know a Sandra, by the way. <laughs> I don't think I do. But we got to understand, this is where the battle is won right here. And the enemy wants to put all kinds of crazy thoughts in our minds. Why? Because our life will always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So first Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. That, that, that word alert is a word that means be responsive, be ready, be on the lookout, be prepared. To be sober-minded means be self-controlled. Don't, don't allow yourself to get caught up in whatever, you know, the same stream that everybody else in the culture is getting caught up in. That's literally what the Greek means of, in, of sober mind. The world, in case you haven't recognized it yet, has absolutely lost its mind. And in the public forum, they, they, they can't, you know, they, they can act like all of this stuff is, is natural and normal. And that you're a bigot and crazy for not accepting it. But I'm just telling you, they have lost their minds. And it's a trap. set by the enemy. Peter says that the enemy's like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take from you. So we got to be aggressive in our thought life and take every thought captive. But then we don't, when we take our thoughts captive, we don't just stare blankly into space. 
We, we've got to know what do we do with the thought. So Paul says we take every thought captive and then we make it obedient to Christ. So, so we take and we make our thoughts obedient to Christ. We, we recognize that we're in a battle. We, we, we recognize that, 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 that the battle, who the enemy is. We, we take those thoughts captive and then we make them obedient to Christ. You, you know what Christ is? John 1.1 1, 1 says that Christ is the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And so what that means is Jesus is the word. The word is Jesus. And so if I'm going to take every thought captive, I've got to make sure it submits itself to God's word, which is the truth. Now, it says in John, your word is truth. That word truth is the Greek word, aletheia, which it means in the Greek, the highest reality. In other words, the word of God is the highest reality. And so I'm not moved by what I see, and I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm grounded and held by the foundation of God's word. And so when the devil comes and tries to attack me with these crazy thoughts, you know, you're not good enough, you're, you're never going to make it, you're going to be nothing but a failure, all is lost, you're never going to be the father God's called you to be, you don't have what it takes to make a difference in the world, uh, the culture's lost, there's no hope for the next generation, there's no reason to fight. You're always going to be broke. You'll never get ahead. You're going to die alone. You have to take those thoughts. And instead of allowing them to go over and over and over in your mind and panicking and allow them to, to, to allow fear to be attached to it, you have to stop for a minute and say, I'm not going to go down that trail. Because my Bible says I'm the head, not the tail. My Bible says I'm above, not beneath, that I'm, I'm more than victorious because of his mighty power that's at work within me. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of me, so no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Come on, somebody, that's what God's word says. You got to learn how to get God's word in your heart because you got to know how to do battle. Brian, come help me. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What we really need is we need God's word to get in us, to purify our thoughts, to help us understand what we're called to do and who we're called to be. And we don't want to be like Gideon sitting in a little corner just waiting to die, believing that God doesn't love me and God has abandoned our culture and there's no hope. And we gotta get the, the truth of God's word in us so when the Holy Spirit leads us and speaks to us, we can step out in boldness and confidence, knowing that we're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of the King born on purpose for a purpose. And whatever it is that he's calling us to do, we'll be able to accomplish it because his power is at work by the Holy Spirit on the inside. The Bible says that if we'll do this, then here's what will happen. The peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In other words, it'll guard your thought life in Christ Jesus. And and then he says this, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, if you want to know what to think about, if you want to think about what you think about, think about this. Think about whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, then think about such things. Just think about what you think about. Because your life is always going to move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And the only thing that you have to do to win is simply participate. God wants to use you to make an incredible difference in the world. But you've got to have focus. You've got to be able to see. You've got to win the battle that takes place right here. Stand with me this morning. Father, as we wrap up this time together this morning. I'm thankful for the truth of your word because it really is intended to set the course for our lives. And You've provided us the weapons that we need in order to defeat the enemy in our lives. And there are those of us who are standing in this place. In fact, if the truth were to be known, all of us in this place could this could be said of us, that that we have experienced consequences in our lives, pain in our lives, challenges in our lives. We've been caught up in stuff as a result of buying into the lies of the enemy rather than listening to your truth. And so, Lord, my prayer for each of us today as we continue on this 21-day journey is that as we spend time in your word, that you would open up the truth as it pertains to us and the things that you want to do in our lives and you would help us to deposit that in our hearts and that it would be something that purifies our minds. Any of the lies of the enemy that we have embraced, right now in the name of Jesus, we reject those. We tear those strongholds down. We demolish them. We demolish every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of who you are and how much you love us. And we embrace your truth today. I pray that you'd help us to walk in that and bring us back next week. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.